We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 today. This is a section of the letter Peter writing to the early church two years, we think, before a huge persecution would fall upon them from Nero, who said the Christians burnt down Rome, which they did not. He did, probably. But Peter's preparing the church to go into a very difficult time. And then starting in chapter 2, verse 13, he talks about role relationships. And he says, verses 13 to 17, this is how you relate to governing authorities placed over you by God. And then verses 18 to 20, he talks about how uh, slaves relate to their masters in a indentured servant slavery situation, not chattel slavery, but this is the way they relate. And then he talks about the example of Christ. And, and, and then he talks about chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, how wives relate to their husbands, especially husbands that are non-believing. And then chapter 3, verse 7, he talks about how husbands are to relate to their wives. Husbands are to live with their wives in the way of knowledge, as a, treating her as if she's precious, as the physically weaker partner and a co-heir of the grace of God so that nothing would hinder our prayers. And so he comes down to chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, which is a statement of God's desire for the church at large. So this is a passage given to all of us. Hear the scripture. This is chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. So let me give you my central thesis for this passage. This kind of got several tributaries that flow into it. Here's the thesis. As you celebrate the grace of Christ, as you're rooted in him, You are to love those around you. And as you do that, you are to expect a blessing from the Father. We're to be rooted in Christ, love people, walk in obedience, and expect a blessing from the Father. He starts off by saying this, have a unity of mind. Five attributes for the believers. Have a unity, verse 8 is to the church, unity of mind. Have unity of mind. Think the same thoughts. I think that harkens back to chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, which talks about the incredible grace of Christ. As we rehearse it and think about it in our mind, as the Holy Spirit teaches us, see, the things you say about you will determine how you hold on to God's gift of grace. As you speak the gospel to yourself, he says, you know, think the same thoughts. I I told you there's five building blocks in this passage of 1 Peter, chapter 1. The first building block is God has eternally loved us with a Trinitarian love. Eternally loved us. Building block one. Building block number two. 
We've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. A living hope. Building block number three, you say, well, how do I carry this out? You're protected by the power of God through faith. God is protecting you right now, believer, because of the power of faith in your life by the Spirit. Building block number four, trials will come. Hard times will come, but God is using those to refine your faith so that when Christ comes again, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And the fifth building block is we have the full revelation of Christ. We see the beauty of the Messiah, and this is what angels stood on tiptoes to see. This is what Moses wanted to see but didn't see it clearly. David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, we see it clearly. So as you are arrested by the grace and the goodness of God, you have unity of mind. See, you don't, you don't jump into a book and just start looking at different verses. Ideally, you... you Go in the context of what has been said. To have unity of mind, we must think biblically about the grace of Christ. Listen, do not lose your sense of glorious redemption and your need for Christ. Wake up in the morning. And when you wake up, you say, I'm redeemed by the blood of Christ. I'm kept by the power of God. I am loved by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am adopted into his family by the work of Christ. I am secure in him. No one can snatch me from the Father's hand. God is gloriously good and he's shaping my character. You, you, you live that way. There's a parable, maybe the most famous parable in the New Testament. It's in Luke 18 that Jesus told this story. And he says that two men went up to the temple to pray. You know it if you've been around very long in the church. One was a... Pharisee, one of the good guys, kept the rules, kept the law, did the right thing. The other guy was a tax collector who was despised by the Jews of his day. And Jesus very carefully unpacks this, and he says this, that, that two men went up to pray, and one was a Pharisee, and the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. And what he's saying is, God, aren't you glad that I'm on your team and I really do not need you? I'm doing just fine. I don't need more power. I don't need more grace. I don't need to taste your goodness and your mercy because I'm on the A team. I'm there. But he says the tax collector was in the corner, didn't even lift his eyes, but he beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus gives a startling line of conclusion. He says, the tax collector went home right with God and not the Pharisee. I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that I have and you have oftentimes a Pharisaical spirit. I'm doing okay, God. Life's okay. I don't need you. Yeah. And we forget, like the Lord says to the church at Laodicea, you've become wealthy and well, and you say, I need nothing, but you forget you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, and you're blind, and you have no clothes. So I, I would just say, don't celebrate grace and don't forgive, forget the glory and the mercy 
that's found in Christ. And, and so he talks about these attitudes. He says, first of all, you, you've got to be people who think with unity of mind. Secondly, you must be people of sympathy or empathetic. It, it means to care deeply, to feel with others as they feel. And let me just speak very bluntly here. Um, some of us go, you know, I'm not a touchy-feely person. I don't cry at Hallmark movies. Um, I'm not a teary person. And I'm just not empathetic. Um, I want to say the Holy Spirit wants you to be empathetic in, in, in your area. Um, God says here, this is not a suggestion. It says, be people of sympathy. You feel with those who are hurting deeply. You feel what others feel. I was reading a book on Germany just recently. And I, I've never read this. And, but the, the writer said this, that in the nation of, of Germany, that the people in the north, Berlin and that area, are not as gregarious and fun-loving as the people of the south, the Bavarians. So the north, not as gregarious as the Bavarians. I have no idea if that's true. It's certainly true in the United States. The people from the north are just not as nice and cordial and drive with grace as we southerners do. I'm talking about O-H-I-O, -O, okay? Ohio, okay? So let's just be honest here. Um, all joking aside, I, but, 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 but so, so I'm, I'm thinking, so I, I'm a German, for example, and I'm from Berlin, and I said, well, you know, I just don't feel empathy like, like those Bavarians. You can't say that. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Scandinavian, or I'm, a, I'm, I'm from Denmark, or whatever, and I just, I don't, I don't feel the way the Italians, you can't say that because the Holy Scripture determines how we live. And God says, be sympathetic. It's like people that say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a servant. That servanthood doesn't turn me on. Church doesn't do much for me. Well, get over it. The Bible doesn't say serve if you want to. The Bible says be a servant in the name of Jesus. Or you say, you know, when it comes to sharing the gospel, I'm just, I'm not concerned about people that are going to hell. You should be. The Bible says be concerned. Or you say, well, I'm, I'm just not a generous person. This thing about tithing and giving and caring, I, that, well, get over it. See, I'm to conform to this, to take my personality and let God shape the contours of who I am by the Holy Spirit. So I, I say to you that we should be sympathetic. We should have empathy for people. It says brotherly love. We should love people. We should be concerned and care for them. Tenderhearted, which means to have, be compassionate with those who are experiencing pain. Some of us are praying this morning. There's a dear brother that prayed. God has thanksgiving approaches. We pray particularly and especially for those who go through their first thanksgiving without a loved one that has always sat at the table with them in their recent memory. And I thought, I should be praying that, but I didn't. That, that shows a, a tender heart. He says we should be humble. First Peter 5 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So a humble is somebody who's, who's teachable. And who says, I don't have it together. And so I, I look at these things and I say, okay, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, a humble spirit, a humble mind. And I cry out, come Holy Spirit. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Change me. Change us. So that we can live in such a way that we have a platform to preach Christ and we exalt and glorify his name. It is an amazing set of qualities that, that he's called us to live out. And quite frankly, Peter could have just stopped there and said grace is plenty. But then he piles it on. In verse 9, he talks about our relationship with the world as we relate to people in the world who are not believers. And he says with startling clarity this statement. He says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He says, as you're in the world, as you're going to a time of difficulties and persecutions and hardship, he said, you're called to bless. Now, here's what I think he's saying. God called you in order for you to bestow a blessing upon people. And, we'll see this next section, if you do this, God will give you a blessing. God has called you to bless those around you. And if you enter into that, God will give you a blessing. And this goes back to chapter 2, the example of Christ. Verse 21 says we should follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, same word, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God has called us to himself to bless others. And as we bless others, God and his mercy blesses us. We're going to, go, going to go into this section. And I think the section we're going to look at now, I want you to get it, is powerful. It's powerful. We live in a culture where there's a heresy that is popular. It's called the health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel. It's not biblical. It's not centered on the cross. And it's, it's sad. It's just sad. And their thesis is that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy. And if we are not, it is because we have a lack of faith, which is a bunch of baloney. And you read the Bible in a very elementary fashion, you go, that's just full of holes. So we, we, we reject that. So so my concern is, as I read this text, my concern is that we see that and then we overreact by forgetting the promises that are in 1 Peter and other places that, that talk about the blessing that God wants to give us. Let me say this very clearly. I believe God calls us to himself, and part of that calling is that we bless other people by responding and serving and caring and living it out. And as we do that, God pours on the blessings. I want to convince you of that. Because I think it, it, it destroys humdrum, non-serving, non-pressing into the wind, not going for it, Christian living. 
I think it just, it just slays it. And I want to slay that in my spirit and your spirit. So one of my favorite preachers of the last century, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, Welshman who preached in London for 40 years, Lloyd-Jones, had this illustration I've never read anywhere but in his, one of the sermons. He said, there was a woman walking down the path of a village. It's a made-up story. I don't know where he got it. But she had in one hand um, a torch of fire and in the other hand a bucket of water. And someone said to her, what are you doing? And she says, I'm going to use the fire to burn up heaven and the water to douse the flames of hell so that men and women will live unselfishly or altruistically. And Lloyd-Jones said, that's a nice story. The only problem is this. It is thoroughly unbiblical. God appeals to our desires. C.S. Lewis, this is a wonderful little book. I mean, Lewis's death date was last Thursday. He died 56 years ago. So he wrote this little book called The Weight of Glory. I'm just going to read two or three paragraphs, but, but, but he's, I, think he's, I think he just is so good. He says, if you ask, in the present day, this is 1945, 50, if you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply, unselfishness. But if you ask almost any of the great Christians of old, our teachers, he would have replied, love. Love. He says, you see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than mere verbal significance. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. But that is so good. What he's saying is that, is that we, he said, we get this from Immanuel Kant and the Stoics, unselfishness, not from the Gospels. So if you read the Gospels, our desires are not too strong. They're just way too weak. We're, we are satisfied making mud pies in the slum when a free offer at sea is offered to us. We are far too easily satisfied. Boom. Next paragraph says this. We must not be troubled by unbelievers when they say that the promise of reward makes the Christian life a mercenary affair. There are different kinds of reward. There is a reward which has no natural connection with the things you do to earn it and is quite foreign to the desires that ought to accompany these things. Money is not the natural reward of love. That is why we call a man a mercenary if he marries a woman for the sake of her money. But marriage that is sweet is the proper reward for a real lover. And he is not mercenary if he desires it with all of his heart. A general who fights well in order to win a ribbon and to be promoted is mercenary. A general who fights for the victory and honor of his country is not. Victory being the proper reward of battle, as marriage is the proper reward of love. He goes on and on. I hope you can see that. So what, what he's saying is that, is that there is a proper reward. And I, and I look at this text. And I want you to see this. There's a term some of the young people have introduced me to. I'll see if you guys know what. FOMO. 
What does it mean? The fear of missing out, okay? FOMO, the fear of missing out. In other words, go for it and whatever. And I want to introduce you to another phrase that comes straight from, from me. With them. It really should be why, why wife them. It's not like that, but, but here's what it means. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? I'm going to show you this text. That is a proper question. What's in it for me? So you look at this text, and this is what Peter says. Do you want to love life? Do you want to see good dates? Do you want to have the embrace of Abba Father in a stronger sense in your life? Yes, yes, yes. Then do these things. Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to get it. I want you to, I, I, I want, please get, I want you to get this. In a lot. So, so here's a little diagram. It's not, it's, it's not great, but this is it. It's a circle with a line through it. If it just stays up there, good. Circle with a line through it. And I'll try to explain that. Don't forget radius and diameter and circumference. That's not the point. What, what, what I want to say is that if, if you have trusted Christ alone for your salvation, you're in the circle. No one can snatch you from the Father's hand. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to keep yourself in it. It's, it's, it's the work of God in your life alone. I love Hebrews 10 that says this, verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, all time one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by a, I love this verse, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now look at the tenses. If you're a believer in Christ, you're perfect because God sees you through the lens of Jesus and what the cross. So you are Past tense, perfected. You have union with him. Lord, his glorious is so good. But he's also in the process of sanctifying us. Present tense. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Changed from glory to glory. Pushed, prodded, built up, challenged. But it's, so, so what I'm saying is you're in the circle, but there are degrees of blessing in the circle. As you go forward in obedience. And when you understand the degrees of blessing and the nearness of God and, and the anointing of the Spirit, I believe you say, be done with passionless Christianity. Be done with non-serving. Be done with self-centeredness. Be done, be done, be done. I've tasted the sweetness of Christ and I want more. I want more. I'm greedy. So, so you see, he says this, do you, do you, listen, he says, do you folks in Asia Minor, do you want to Love life? Do you want to see good days? Do you want to have the embrace of Abba Father? He says, then do three things. 
It's a very simple text, but it has hands and feet. Number one, if, if you want these things, if you want a glory in Christ, if you want the empowering of God, the blessing of God, understand what you're to do. Let me do the what's in it for me, just a few verses before I go there. Hebrews eleven six. What's in it for me? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For everyone who draws near to God must believe in that he rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who seek him. Do you want the reward of blessing and purpose and, and laughter and joy in your life? Seek God. A few Psalms. Psalm 16 says this, verse 5, The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Do you want to be able to sit back and say, God, you are sovereign king, and you have put me here, and I believe that under you that the lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Lord, use me where I am. See, life is hard. Life is difficult, and there, there are, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be overwhelmed. Change is hard. Some of you are in change. Just getting up and going out is hard. It's easy to become self-forgetful and self-absorbed and to forget these things. But if you, if you say, Lord, I, you're king, and so what's, what's in it for me? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Now, this is Thanksgiving week, and you guys, many of us will be having a meal with an extended time with people we would never choose to be friends with. It's called family. You're going to be having meals with people that really you're thinking, how did this happen? And, and you have the opportunity of sitting there and asking the Holy Spirit to use you just to listen and care and love or to be disconsolate. And you say, Lord, I believe the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Or you, you'll say in verse, the same Psalm, verse, verse 11, uh, you've made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want that for you guys. Lord, you've made known to me the path of life is through the reality of the cross. And, 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 and you, 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 in your presence there is fullness of joy. What's in it for me? Psalm 23, green pastures, still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's in it for me? Goodness and mercy. God's kindness. Psalm 84, O Lord, how lovely is your dwelling place. My flesh, my longs and pants for the courts of my God. My Savior, my King. And then he says in chapter 84, verse 10, he says this, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing to see withhold from those whose walk is blameless. I mean, what's in it for me? Sun and a shield. Or Psalm 19 talks about the beauty of the Word of God. Then it says, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Wow. So, so, so I go back and I say, what's in it for me? Love life. Good days. The embrace of Abba Father. 
Now, the three things in this text. Number one, he says, if you want to have those things in your life, then guard your speech. Be very careful how you speak. He says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. This is not a Herculean task. The Bible says repeatedly that to guard your speech. Psalm 141, put a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Colossians 4, the, let your speech be seasoned with salt and speak graciously. 1 Peter 4, speak as if it were the ordinances of God. Proverbs 10, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Speak, speech, speech. And so if, if we want the blessing of God in our life, we, we don't speak deceitfully. We don't put people down. We don't degrade people. We're not bitter in the way we speak. We don't shame people. We're very careful. We're very careful in how we speak because we want the blessing of God in our life. We want to honor the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As I think about us and I think about my grandchildren, it's a great sorrow to me that we live in a culture of uh, horrid speech horrid speech. We live in a culture where people can talk about wanting to do bodily harm to the president or burn down the White House or blow up the White House. We have a president who in his, the primary talked about, remember this, low energy Jed, the governor of Florida, for heaven's sake, or, or lying Ted, remember that? Or little Marco, senators he's supposed to be working with. It's, it's just unconscionable. And so, see, the, then you look at the impeachment, what people are saying. This is the new normal. Have nothing to do with it. Have nothing to do with it. You don't belittle and criticize and berate. You pray. And you love. And you walk the path of Jesus. And you do that because you want the blessing of God. Number two, you, you turn away from evil and you do good. Chapter 2, verse 12 says twice, do good. Chapter 12, 2, verse 15, do good. It says that Jesus, he went about doing good. So not only do you turn from evil, because evil saps your energy and weighs you down and pulls you apart, but you, you turn from that and you do good. So I just say to you, do good. It's, 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 it's not Hercules. Do good. Cook a meal for somebody that's hurting. Write a letter of encouragement to somebody that, that, that you haven't said thank you to. Go visit a shut-in. Care, care for people in the name of Christ who so can speak Jesus into their life and just do good. Because, because God promises this, if you do good, if you don't speak deceitfully, if you guard your speech, love life, good days, the embrace of the Father. And then thirdly, he says this, he said, seek peace and pursue it. See, you, you, if there's broken relationships, you try to make it Right? If there's offense, you try to restore it. It's what you do. This is who we are. We're people of peace. We're people of forgiveness and grace and mercy. See, God has called us to bless others, and as we live it out, He blesses us. I want you to experience the blessing of God in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit in your life the joy of the Lord in your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for the, the, the absolute clarity of the Bible. I thank you that you have called us 
to yourself in part to bless other people, to speak blessing into their lives. And as we bless others and live out our faith, you bless us with a love of life, with good days, with the embrace of Abba Father, the prayer hearing God. So Lord, I pray that even now you would show us who we are to, uh, just show us how to not speak deceitfully, but to speak with love. And show us how to confess where we failed there, that, that we would cease from doing evil and turn from evil and just do good. I pray you to make us servants, servant-hearted people. I think of the angel tree, uh, the, these, these 305 kids that our church has stood up and said, when other churches can't do it, we're, we're going to give gifts to these children whose mom or dad are either both or one or the other are in prison, and they don't, they don't have a Christmas. That, that as we buy these gifts, that you bring the gospel into their lives by, by demonstration. Uh, just show us how to do good, to be concerned for others. And Lord, I pray you really show us and teach us how to seek peace and pursue it, that it's so easy to let things just slip and slip and slide. Don't let us do that. As we're with family this week, and there'll be some raw edges at times, I pray we'd just be peacemakers who care for people. So lead us, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.